Today is Senior Adult Day, and I thought this would be a very good story to lead off with. Uh, there was an older gentleman named Bob who was talking to a young man named Tom. And uh, Tom was one of these workaholics. He was working 60, 70 hours a week and kind of let his priorities get out, out of line. He was neglecting his family, is hurting his health. And, and Bob, the older gentleman, said to him, said, Tom, let me tell you something that, that has helped me, something that I found that helped me have a better perspective of my priorities over the years. And he began to explain to this younger guy uh, his theory of a thousand marbles. Some of you may have heard this story, but it's a very good story. He said the average person lives to be about 75 years old, some more, some less, but an average person, about 75 years old. He said, I did a little arithmetic, and 75 times 52 uh, equals 3,900 weeks, which is the average lifespan. If you live to be 75, uh, you, you have approximately 3,900 weeks to live. He said, when I figured this out, I was 55. And so I already had lived through 2,800 weeks. And if I lived to be 75, he said, I figured it up. And, and I had about 1,000 weeks left to enjoy if the Lord were to let me live to be 75. He said, so I went to a toy store and I bought every single marble that they had. Then I went to another toy store and to another and to another until I had a thousand marbles. He said, then I put them in a clear plastic container. And every Saturday since then, I get up and I get one of the marbles out and I throw it away. Representing God has given me another week. He said, I found that by watching those marbles diminish, I focused more on what was really important in life. The more those marbles went away, the more I, I, I focused on what was really important. And he said, there's nothing like watching your time here on earth run out to get your priorities straight. He said, by the way, uh, this morning I took the very last marble out of the container. So he said, I figured that if, if God lets me live to next Saturday, he's given me more time, extra time. Now, the reason that you can relate to that story and the reason that I can relate to that story is because we're all losing our marbles, aren't we? <laughs> Every one of us, we're losing our marbles. You don't have an unlimited amount of time. Neither do I. We've just got so many weeks, so many months, so many years to let our life count for something. Thing is, we don't know how long that is, do we? We don't know that it'll be 75. We don't know that we've got a thousand marbles left. Only a sovereign God knows that. So, how should we live in the meantime? What should we do with the marbles we have left? If you notice on your note sheet, Ephesians chapter 2 is a very important passage of Scripture. Look at the, the intro on your note sheet. In this text, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gave the Christians in Ephesus and us a complete description of what our lives were like before we were saved. Now, this is important. He gave a complete description of what our lives were like before we were saved. To show us that God has done so much for us. And that, listen to this, that should become the foundation of what we do for Him. God has done so much for us. Would you agree? God has done so much for us. And that should be the foundation of what we in turn do for Him. But we need to understand what He's done for us. We need to understand what literally occurred when we were saved. And that's why I ask you to share with us your salvation story. 
Because you told us how you came to know the Lord, and, and I appreciate you sharing those wonderful stories. But did you know that something more happened than what you said? Did you know that something more happened that was even greater than you could ever explain? And thankfully, the Apostle Paul explains it for us. Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's just read the first ten verses together and then we'll break it down and try to study and work our way through it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Likewise, or like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And You might want to underline that one. That is so good. It's by grace you have been saved. Look, can I say something to you? I'm trying not to preach because everything in me wants you just to jump in on this. But I want to tell you something. If you haven't been saved by grace, you haven't been saved. It's only by grace that we're saved. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And He tells us again, for it is by grace you've been saved. See, this is kind of an important thing. He's repeating it. This is is one of those red flags of Scripture saying, make sure you get this, make sure you note this, don't let this get by you. So He tells us again, for it's by grace you have been saved through, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me tell you tonight, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, can I describe what happened to you? I don't know your story fully. I can't t- I, I, I've heard some of your stories and it's wonderful. But, but for all of us, let me describe what happened to you beyond what the, what the story is that you tell. The story that you tell is, it was my mom or my dad, it was a Sunday school teacher, it was at this place, it was at this time. And those are wonderful stories, but can I tell you the story behind the story? Here's the story behind the story. Number one, look at your notes. If you're a Christian, let me describe your life to you. First of all, you are no longer what you used to be. You are no longer what you used to be. Paul gave the Christians in Ephesus a a complete description of what their lives were like before they were saved. Now I want you to notice some words here that are very important. In verse 1, he says, you were dead. In verse 2, he says, you used to live. Are you noticing the tense here? Verse 2, he said, you followed. Again, notice the tense. Verse 3, he says, all of us lived among them at one time. We're not living like that now, but at one time we were. 
gratifying the, crimpful, the, 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 gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the, like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. Paul is using these words, very descriptive words to say, you were, you used to, this used to be you. But he's telling us, uh, one of the most exciting things about salvation is this. Regardless of what your story is and when it occurred, here's the thing you need to understand about salvation. If we've been truly saved, we've been changed. Absolutely changed. We are not the person we used to be before we got saved. Now for some of us, it's more evident the change is more evident. But for others, it's, it's not as evident. That doesn't mean it hasn't occurred to you as well. But listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse probably all of us could quote. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So whatever your salvation story is, here's part of your story. When Christ came into your life, you are no longer the person you used to be. You were this thing. You used to be this. You acted this way at one time. You used to live this way. You used to follow. But not anymore. Not anymore. Because Jesus Christ has made the difference. Missionary E. Stanley Jones tells about an African who, after he was converted, changed his name. He began calling himself, after he was converted, he, be, he began calling himself after he explained that everything important in his life happened after he met Jesus Christ. Pretty good name. Well, what were you and I like before we were saved? If I would take the time and say, Charles, what were you like before you were saved? I know a little bit about Charles' story. His story would be very interesting to hear, but it would be very different from your story. Keith, what were you like before you were saved? Again, his story would be interesting to hear, but it would be very different from Dave's or Angie's or Lauren's story. Uh, all of our stories were different, except there's one thing in common. Actually, three things in common. Put this on your notes. Let me describe your life before you came to know Christ so that you can understand the change He's made. Put this on your notes. What were you and I like before you were saved? Number one, you were dead. You were dead. A little girl who was about eight years old, wrote a letter to God as a part of a special project in BSF class. And she said, Dear God, what is it like to die? Signed Sue. Then she added a P.S. I just want to know. I don't really want to do it. <laughs> uh, not many of us want to do it. We don't want to die. But physical death is a reality for all of us. But that's not the kind of death Paul has in mind. Look what he says in the text. As for you, you were dead writing to Christians. He said, let me describe your life for you before you came to know Christ. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. You know this, but let me rehearse it for you. There are two, time, two kinds of death. There's physical death and spiritual death. Physical death is when there is the separation. Uh, death always causes separation. Physical death is separation of the spirit from the body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is the separation of the Spirit from God. Spiritual death is separation of the Spirit from God. And, and for some of you, you were dead in your For all of us, we were dead in our sins. We were separated from God. We were dead in our sins, separated from God. And the tragedy is some people never 
come into a relationship with God. And they spend all eternity separated from God. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, because there's a very interesting scripture that Paul talks about this whole concept of being physically and spiritually dead. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. Paul is talking about, he's giving advice to widows in this section. But he says something very, very interesting in verse 6. He says, but the widow who lives for pleasure, look at this, is dead even while she lives. Isn't that interesting? He describes a lady who is dead even while she lives. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death and physical death. She is not yet dead physically, but she is dead spiritually. She has no connection to God. You see, when someone is physically dead, there is no response to external stimuli. Uh, I'll tell you what, let, let's see if you're awake with me. Uh, answer these questions. They're very, very hard. You, you might have to think about them. If you put a live person at an exciting football game, like a Tennessee game, not a Clemson game or anything like that, but a, like an exciting game, like a Tennessee game. If you put a live person at a Tennessee football game, that live person will probably, when they, when they play Rocky Top, and, and the team runs out through that, that tee, it's just amazing... More than likely, if you have a pulse, you're going to be screaming your head off. Yeah, oh, yeah. Easy. But, if you put a dead person in that seat, expose that dead person to the same ex- stimuli you've been exposed to, what's that dead person going to do? Nothing. If you put a live person in, in a really, really, really clean, funny movie, they're going to sit there and they're going to lie, a live person, they're going to laugh and laugh and laugh. They're going to laugh till they cry. Have you ever done that? Have you ever laughed so much so hard that you're crying? If you put a dead person in that same funny movie, what are they going to do? Nothing. They're not going to respond whatsoever because they are dead. They do not respond to that kind of external stimuli. Now listen to me. Those who are spiritually dead, listen, those who are spiritually dead are totally unresponsive to the spiritual things around them. They have no connection to God. They have no desire to God. They have no response to God. They are dead to the things of God. And Paul says, can I tell you something about your story? That used to be you. You were dead to the things of God. Now, the only difference between one sinner and another sinner is the state of decay. Did you know that there are three different stories in the Gospels of Jesus resurrecting the dead? What's the one that you know most famous? The most famous one is what? Who? Lazarus, yeah. And sometimes that's the only one we think about. But did you know that Jesus raised the dead on at least three occasions? It's interesting, the time frame in each of those. First, there was Jairus' daughter who was dead for only a few minutes before she came back to life. Then then there was the widow of Nain, the widow of Nain's son. They they were bringing him out of the city, down that little uh, dusty road, and and he had been dead probably about a day. Because in that day, they would bury him the, the day that they died or the very next day. So he had been dead one to two days as they brought him out. Jesus met her. He resurrected him. 
from the dead. So we had this Jairus' daughter, dead just a few minutes. The widow's son, dead for a day or two. Lazarus, dead four days. And, you know, his sister said, by now he stinketh because he's been there four days. In every instance, they were in different stages of decay. But they were all dead. And, and, and it took the same mighty power to bring them back from the dead. When you travel throughout the week this week, you will more than likely see people in different states of decay spiritually. I don't mean that they physically are decaying before your eyes, but spiritually you see some people that are pretty good old guys, right? They're just dead to the things of God. They're, 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 they're kind of moral people, but they're dead to the things of God. They don't have any interest in God. They're good people, but they don't have any interest in God. Then on the other extreme, you're going to see that guy, and all he's trying to do is party and hook up with women and, and do drugs, and, and the, the, the spiritual decay is very, very evident in his life. I'm going to tell you something. It is the same resurrection power that's needed in both cases. It's the same Lord that's needed in both cases. It's the same Jesus that's needed in both cases. What were you like before you got saved? You were dead. Number two, put this on your notes. Here's what you were like before you got saved. You were disobedient. Verses 2 and 3, here's what Paul says. Uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, In which you used to live, you don't live that way anymore, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, you're not following the ways of the world anymore, at least not on a regular basis. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You've got another Lord now. He, uh, you don't follow him anymore. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then Paul says, all of us. All of us. That's, it's part of our story. It's the story behind the story. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. All of us. We're at one time disobedient. The story behind your story is not only were you dead, you're disobedient. Our utter deadness to spiritual things was evident in our behavior. That's what he's saying. And rather than following God, we were slaves to three things. We're slaves to the world, slaves to the devil, and slaves to our own flesh, our own sinful desires. In other words, we were so dead spiritually that instead of moving, this, this is so powerful, instead of moving towards God, we were so dead spiritually, instead of moving towards God, we could only move in one direction, and that was away from God. Because we were dead. We were disobedient to God. Satan was at work in our lives. And we were constantly moving away from God. We had nothing to attract us to God, because we were dead. Not only were we dead, we were doomed. We were doomed. Verse 3, the last part of the verse 3. Let's just read the whole verse. All of us were, who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Look what he says. We were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of wrath is a Jewish way of saying that we deserved God's punishment. We deserved God's punishment. We were without God. We were without Christ. Without hope. We were objects of wrath. We were doomed because one day... God would finally and forever deal with sin. And we were on that list where God would finally and forever deal with our sin. We were on that list. That's who you were before you were saved. You were dead, you're disobedient, 
and you were doomed. And one of the reasons we should love God, one of the reasons we should praise God, one of the reasons we should serve God is because even though we were dead and disobedient and doomed, He did not walk away from us. He did not give up on us. He did not stop loving us. Even though we were dead to Him, disobedient to Him, and doomed in a relationship without Him. That's who you were. That's the story behind your story. That's who you were before you came to Christ. Look at number two on your notes. God did something for you that you could never do. And if you've got your, your notes there, you might want to underline the word never. God did something for you that you could never do. Verse 4 and 5. But because of His great love for us. Can we just stop there for a moment? Did you see, what's the very first word of verse uh, 4? But, verses 1 through 3, He's saying this is who you were. It's the kind of person you were. And regardless of what your story is, the story, behind the, pers- the story behind the story is this. You were a person who was dead to God. You were disobedient to God. You were doomed to experience the wrath of God. You had nothing to offer God. Do you understand? You had nothing to offer God. Verse 4 starts with this word. But. Because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. But, because of His great love for us, not because you are such a good person, not because you are part of a certain denomination, Not because that you had given a certain amount of money. Not because you've done a certain number of things for Him. Not because you've lived a certain way. The only reason is because, what does it say there? Because of His great love for us. Because of His great love for us. God who is rich in what, Jack? God who is rich in mercy. Made us alive in Christ. Made us alive. Get the direction in your mind. Is it me making myself good for God? No. We were dead. But, because of God's great mercy, God's great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even, even when we were dead in sin. It just blows out of the water the people who said, well, I plan to get saved just as soon as I get my life straightened out. You'll never get your life straightened out until Jesus is in your life. One of the joys, the greatest joys I've had today was in our deacons meeting tonight when 
they were sharing their stories of how they came to know faith in Christ. How they came to faith in Christ. And I learned something tonight that, or maybe I was reminded of it and I had forgotten it. I discovered tonight in our class, for example, I don't want to put him on the spot, I don't want to embarrass him, but Rodney Bridges said, here's my story. He said, I got saved, I think he said 11 years ago, right here, on a Sunday night. Man, I forgot, I just thought Rodney just always been a Christian, you know? You know, you, you kind of get to that standpoint, well, he's just always been that way. He's just always been a good guy. He's just always been a man who loves the Lord. No, 11 years ago, he didn't know the Lord. And 11 years ago, right here on a Sunday night, he got saved. And I baptized him. I think that's right, wherever he is. I'm pretty sure that's right. Well, I, I, I do know that's right, I remember, because we were, they were discussing after the meeting I didn't know this. this. This is amazing to me. I did not know this. I baptized three of my deacons. Now think about that. I got 12. I baptized three of them. I've only got nine more to go. I'm praying they get saved too. They know I'm picking on them. I, I love and respect those men. I, I cannot tell you how much it blessed me today to hear their stories and then to realize I had the privilege of baptizing the three of these men. I baptized, so you're curious, I know. I baptized Rodney, I baptized Mac Robbins, and I baptized Chris Munns. But God... Because of his great love for us. But God. But because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. Made us alive. See verses 1 through 3 presents the hopeless humanity. We are trapped in sin. We are under Satan's power. We are unable to improve our situation. But. Instead of leaving us there. God acted on our behalf. Paul, filled with astonishment, said, and I won't tell you when he did it, even when you were dead in your transgressions. That's when he did it. That's why Paul says in verse 5, it's by grace you've been saved. God didn't save us because of what he saw in us, but in spite of what he saw in us. That had been a good place to put an amen. So let me say it one more time. Some of you missed it. God didn't save us because of what He saw in us, but in spite of what He saw in us. Look at verse 4. I want this to rumble around in your head for a little bit. Verse 4. I've read it over and over, but I just want you to grab hold of this. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... God, who is rich in mercy, the omnipotent creator of the world, loves you. The holy God of Israel loves you. The sovereign God of the universe loves you. Have you ever questioned it? Have you ever wondered about it? Right here is absolute proof that He loves you. 
as a little girl, wrote a paper to her pastor one day, said, Dear Pastor, I know God loves me, but I sure wish he'd give me an A on my report card so I'd know for sure. And sometimes that's what we do. Don't, God, I know you love me, but would, if you would just do this, I, I, I'd be sure that you love me then. He couldn't do anything more than what he's already done at the cross to show you his love. Verse 5, he made us alive in Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Put this on your notes. The only way that spiritually dead people can have a relationship with God is to be made alive. Now, I told you this story years ago, some of you. I, this, is, this is an old story I'm telling you now. I've already told it once, but it's such a good story because it's, it's, it's about my kinfolk in Tennessee. They're not really my kinfolk, but you, you will think they are once you hear the story. I'm told it is a true story. Um, <laughs> it sounds like some of my kinfolk in Tennessee, I'll just say that. Well, the story is told by, it was told by a mortician in Tennessee. He said that he took a dead man in his casket to the dead man's home for the receiving of friends. It was before they had the fancy services in the church and all that or at the funeral home and it was common to take the casket to the house for the receiving of friends and that's what this mortician did and he, he left the, the casket there for a couple of days. Again, that was kind of standard procedure back in the old days. Left the guy there for a couple of days in the casket. When he came back to pick him up, he noticed that his suit was wrinkled and his hair was all to- tousled and just didn't look quite like he did when he left and the mortician said, do you mind if I ask you what happened? And they reluctantly said, well, we realized we didn't have any recent pictures of him. And he looked so good in his suit that we took him out of the casket and put him outside and leaned him up against the tree <laughs> and then got off from a distance and took a picture of him because he just looked so good. I was told that was a true story, but I want to tell you something. That's what's happening a lot of times in churches today. We're propping up dead people, trying to make them look good, trying to act like everything's okay, when I want to tell you something about them. They are dead. And until the Lord Jesus Christ brings life back into them, they will continue to be dead. Put this on your notes. You can't live a life for God until you have received a life from God. You just can't do it. You can't live a life for God until you have received a life from God. Salvation is simply God giving you life. I just love, I put this on my notes and let me just read it to you. Uh, I may be repeating myself, but I just love where he says, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and I put this on my notes, God did not require me to be righteous before he made me right with him. He didn't require me to be good before he made me godly. He didn't require me to be perfect before he made me pure. He didn't require me to be sinless before he saved me. The only basis of my salvation was God's grace, not my goodness. William Temple used to say, the only thing that a man can contribute to his redemption is the sin from which he needs to be redeemed. It's a good word. 
You see, that's why Christians need to live for God. We are display cases for God's grace. That's what we are. Display cases for God's grace. Well, there's so much more we could say about all of this, but um, let me get to the third point. We talked about what you were, the story behind your story, what you were, dead, disobedient, doomed. Uh, We talked about how you became what you are now. God in His grace made you what you are now. God in His grace gave life where there is none. Now thirdly, I want to talk about this. God has plans for the new you. I want you to listen to me closely, church. God has not saved you just, just so that He can take you to heaven. Now, he's, he, that's part of the plan. That's part of the deal. It's a pretty good deal, by the way, isn't it? Pretty good deal. I'm glad I, I got that deal. But that's not all the reason God saved me. Look at verse 10. After Paul describes all that God's done for us, Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, our conversion is not the end, it is the beginning. Once God has done a work in us, God wants to do a work through us. You've heard me say that for years now. God do a work in us so you can do a work through us. That's God's plan, that's God's design, that's Bible. Verses 1 through 9, here's what God's done in you. Verse 10, but also, not only has He done something in you, verse 10, He wants to do something through you. We are God's workmanship. Look what it says. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now whenever people see that phrase, works, then they get all bent out of shape or confused. So I want to walk through this very, very carefully with you. I want you to make sure you got your notes and I want to make sure you got your Bible. Now let's try to walk through this. Even this after, or even this, this morning after one of the services, somebody came to me and had some very good questions but very confused about the whole concept of works and salvation. So let me make sure that we walk through this carefully. Put this on your notes. Our good works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. Alright? We do not, our good works are, do not provide salvation. They are evidence of our salvation. You've got to make sure that you get them in the right order. Look at this. Everybody look here. It's not my works enables me to be saved. You've got to get it in the right order. I'm saved, therefore I've got things to do for the Lord. You have to make sure you get those in, in the right order. Put this on your notes. Our good works are first evidence that we have been born again. Evidence that we have been born again. And our good works are testimonies to the lost. Now let me pause for a moment. You would just have to be a pastor to truly understand what, to truly understand what I'm about to tell you. But I cannot tell you the number of times that I've looked in the faces of church people. And I've talked to them, tell me your story, tell me about your salvation, tell me how you came to know Christ. And I can't tell you the number of times 
that, that their story might start out in grace and all of a sudden it, it leans right back into works. I can't tell you how often I've looked into faces and been so frustrated like, do you really think you can add something to it? Do you really think that, that, that you need to somehow work your way and get better and do this for God so that God will love you? Ladies and gentlemen, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it so plainly, so clearly. He says, listen, you were dead. You had nothing to offer God. You did nothing to come to God. God made you alive. You didn't make yourself alive. God made you alive. It's the same thing that happened on resurrection morning. If you were here on Easter, you heard me say this. On resurrection morning, Jesus Christ did not suddenly wake up. He was dead. The Bible says in, in Acts, as Peter is preaching, he says, but God raised him from the dead. God put life back into him. God brought him back to life. And what he did for Jesus, he wants to do for each of you. But anytime you mix works into your salvation story, you have gotten away from grace. That's what Paul talks about in, in the book of Galatians, by the way. Anytime you, you try to mix those two, it's like oil and water. They do not mix very well. Our good works are not the, the root of our salvation or the cause of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. In closing, notice that these things that Paul mentions in verse 10 are not left to chance. They are not of our own choosing. Paul says, God has a plan for you. Look what he says in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God not only wants to save you from something, He wants to save you for something. Our purpose is to do the work of God and to be busy for Him. And so I want you to take just a moment and do a personal inventory. I want you to take just a moment and say, can you point to something? that you're doing right now and say, God, I'm doing this for you and for those who don't know you. Can you point to something right now that you're doing? You say, God, I'm doing this for you and for those who don't know you. For we, us, are God's workmanship. He's created a beautiful thing when He created you. And when He recreated you. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Begin the story, begin today by telling the story about the man who has a thousand marbles. He takes one out every Saturday, once a week. He takes out a marble, trying to keep his priorities in line. I don't know how many marbles you've got left, nor do I know how many I have left. But I do know this. If you want your life to count, however, marbles, however many marbles you've got left, if you want your life to count, focus your life on living for God. However that works out in your life. Just decide, when I take another marble out, I want to make sure that I've spent that week living for God.
when I take another marble out, I want to make sure I have not wasted my time, but I have spent that week living for God. And whenever you take another marble out, you won't, you won't be able to look back and say, well, I live perfectly. You're not going to do that. You're going to mess up. You, you're, you're going to mess up royally some days. But you want to be able to get to the end of the week and say, Father, I've confessed my sin and I want to make sure I'm right with you. And when you take another marble out, you want to say, I've lived this week serving my Lord. Otherwise, you're wasting the precious life He gave you. Would you bow your heads right now? Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? Have you ever claimed by faith and totally relied just on the cross and His death for your sins rather than how good you could be or what you could do for God or your family background or whatever it may be? In other words, if you were to die tonight and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If your story starts out with any kind of works answer, you need to be saved. If I were to die tonight and God said, Keith, why should I let you into my heaven? I would not be able to say it was because I'm a preacher or because I try to live right or do good things. The only answer I could give is this. When I was 11 years old, by faith I chose to trust Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for my sins. That's the only reason I have a relationship with God. The only reason I have entrance into heaven. Jesus Christ and Him alone. I just wonder if there's another Rodney here tonight. On this Sunday night. There's somebody who needs to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord. And stop leaning on your background or your church membership or how good you try to be for God and trust only in His death on the cross for you. The Bible says when you do that, but God made you alive at that moment. I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer. And you pray it silently. And you've heard me say before, there's nothing magical about these words. Just the commitment of your life from your heart. If you've never prayed to receive Christ and you want, to, you want to nail that down tonight, pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer you except my sin. I come before you tonight asking Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And for the first time in my life, I'm trusting only in Him and what He did on the cross for me. I'm placing my faith in Jesus tonight and not in me. So come into my heart and be my Savior. And I commit my life to you. And I'll live for you because you died for me. In Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed, still please, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you perhaps prayed that prayer with me tonight, I'm not going to run back and, inter- and embarrass you, but... I'd like to know that you prayed to receive Christ tonight, and we'll talk about it later. Did you just raise your hand? Just hold your hand up. Let me see who you are. You prayed with me tonight. Raise your hand. Just hold it there for a second. All right, Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. 
and what you want to do through us. May we live in such a way that we'll make those marbles count, that time you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Hey, don't forget, you can still sign up for Love Loud. Brochures are in the pew. Take a few moments if you didn't sign up today. Had about 165 sign-ups so far, so got a really good start. But if you'll take just a couple of minutes, go ahead and fill out that form. Drop it in the bucket as you're leaving. We'd appreciate it. God bless you.